Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome to the Adventures, Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Jay Samick. He is an international bestseller author and a dynamic entrepreneur and entrepreneur who is widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on disruption and innovation, described by Wired Magazine as having the coolest job in the industry. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, advises Fortune 500 firms, and transforms entire industries, revamps government institutions, and for three decades continues to be at the forefront of global trends. He also has two epic books out. One is Disrupt You, and the other one I'm gonna have him talk about more, but in 11 months, he has, takes a, a gentleman who goes from welfare to being a uh, to be financially free. So I'm incredibly excited and grateful to have Jay Samet on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for being here. So you are all about disruption, and you're all about innovation, not only disrupting the the all the environments around you but disrupting yourself and starting from the inside out absolutely um, so the biggest mistake is everybody thinks of changing the world but no one thinks of changing themselves mm -hmm. and if you can change that voice in your head that says what you can't do what you're not good at what, what what gives you your insecurities once you see that you're malleable changing anything in the world is an easier task mm. That's super powerful, but a lot of people don't want to actually change. They don't feel comfortable. They feel like there's some sort of death that they go under through the part of change. Is there? No, I, I believe everybody would like to change. Everybody would like to improve. There's there's a reason why, you know, every holiday season we eat like crazy and, and yet diet books and exercise and gyms uh, get popular in January. Uh, in In real life, we're not taught how to change. We're not taught how to have success. Our educational system was designed to make factory workers, to give you enough reading and writing to help someone else achieve their dreams. And we were taught to conform when the real success in life comes from being different. So if you have problems in your life, you're halfway there. Because entrepreneurs don't sell things, they solve things. If you solve for five people, you have friends, solve for a million, you're wealthy, solve for a billion and you change history. Mm -hmm. And if you would have told me, you know, as a, as a working class kid that dozens of friends will become self-made billionaires. Or now that you have a self-made billionaire, pre-pandemic was every 48 hours. Now it's every 26 hours. I don't know about you, but you're like a slacker this past weekend. You didn't, you didn't make your billion. So what are these people doing differently? Yeah. Right. How did Kylie Jenner become a billionaire at 22? And you go, oh, she's a Kardashian. Yeah. Well, there weren't any billionaires in the family. So it can be taught. I've taught it, as you know, at the university level. Mm. And in Disrupt You, it was really the most gratifying thing I've done in my life. I've heard from people in 140 countries. It's in all kinds of crazy languages. It's coming out this year in Polish and Icelandic and Urdu. Um, but I just hold up a mirror and show people what they, they have within. But occasionally I get an email, usually from a younger person saying, this is motivational, but I could never do it. And it turns out Jay Samet has very thin skin. I'm like, why can't I reach these people? So I decided to do something that nobody ever did. It seemed like an obvious idea. I put my reputation online. Could I take somebody from welfare, an immigrant from welfare, to self-made millionaire in a year? And I gave him no capital. I didn't introduce him to any business contacts, so there's no cheating here. And he had to start a business that took $0, not even $1, $0. 
And spoiler alert, if you're reading Future Proofing You, he hits it in 11 months. Now, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. Vin mm. uh, Clancy, the young man's name, Vin was willing to work harder than most people for a year in order to live the rest of his life in a manner most people can't. And so I distilled that mentoring down to 12 truths. You follow these 12 truths and you will be successful. It's not easy, but it's doable. Mm. And it's more pragmatic than, you know, in high school, we struggled through trigonometry because that so helps us during trigonometry season. Um, why don't we teach people how to improve the world? Mm. You know, if the purpose of life is to have a life of purpose, why wouldn't you want more people purpose-driven making a difference for themselves in the community? And so whatever time I've left on the planet, it isn't about monetizing. It's about paying it forward and, and teaching people how to do this. That's so powerful. Well, I think there's a lot of like self-limiting beliefs around I can't, I, I shouldn't, how giving someone, they almost like they need permission to be able to to do this to to actually have this effect. Dylan, here's here's the little secret. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So what it really comes down to when someone tells you no, they're not saying no you can't, Dylan. Yeah. They're saying no you can't do it with them. Mm -hmm. Their loss, okay? Think of your favorite shirt, suit, album, movie, book, shoes, car. It was created by a stubborn person. Okay? <laughs> History books should be called The History of Stubborn People because here I'll put it down to the two essence of success. You only need two things to be successful. Insight, which I can teach you how to do, and perseverance, which will get you through those obstacles. And if you can cultivate passion out of that perseverance, that will take you not just to financial success, but enriching your soul and your life. And everything else can be hired. Think of Steve Jobs, created the first trillion dollar company. You've written more code than he has. Yeah. He couldn't read code. He couldn't write code. He didn't have any money to hire Wozniak, arguably the foremost expert in computers at the time, because entrepreneurs actually create wealth. It's not a zero-sum game of I buy a banana for $1 and I sell it to you for $2. That's how we learned it in fourth grade. Well, that in game theory is called zero-sum game. There's only so much money, and either you get it or I get it, or they're taking our jobs, or this country's taking our jobs. And, and that dog-eat-dog scarcity mentality does not build success. Here's where wealth comes from. Hey, Dylan, I'm starting a new company. I'll sell you 10% for $10,000. What do I now have? 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in stock. I can hire people, buy companies, merge. That's how Jeff Bezos could lose money year after year after year for a decade and come out the backside of that as the wealthiest man in history. It's the perceived value that gets created based on our own internal mental models. So I bought that stock. And so technically for me, I have that value because I think there's potential value in that. So as long as you can inspire people to the possibility of the value, you then have the, then you are actually literally able to create wealth. You said something in, in one of your books, when you were a young executive trying to convince others, um, you would get mad at them because you'd say they, they don't get get it why don't they get it i can't I, I it took me 10 years to learn this lesson I, i'd come out of a meeting and i remember walking down a corridor to a meeting i was pitching a, a great digital product uh to the ceo and the entire exec floor had ibm selectric's typewriters there wasn't a computer in sight i'm going like oh this is going to be a miserable meeting and then it dawned on one one day on me 
The guys in the C-suite are already there. It's not their job to get it. It's your job to convince and explain to people living in the past how to bring them into the future. And once that, that flipped in my head, the, the success rate you know, uh, multiplied. You took back the ownership of the decision and you took it in the sense of it, you're, it's a much more empowering perspective to go from instead of they don't get it, it's their fault it to it's my problem to inspire them on how on, on how the opportunity can really roll out, which right. is, is so powerful as a, as a thought process, which is a disruptive thinking pattern. And I take it one step further in one of the 12 truths in, in future proofing you, mm. which is how to use fear. And I don't mean fear as in mafia's tactics, you know, mm. buy this or I break your kneecaps. But I hate all these gurus that you find on YouTube that say fear isn't real, fear is in your head, you can overcome fear, you can, you know, make fear go away. Complete bull. We are hardwired to be fearful. The only reason you're here is because your great, 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 great grandfather in the cave, when that saber toothed tiger came, he hauled it out of there, okay? That's why you're here. Mm -hmm. Ugg that was next to him, he doesn't have any descendants. So if you can't overcome fear, and if fear is what's stopping you because you're afraid of giving up your job, you're afraid of being embarrassed, you're afraid of failing, you're afraid of losing your money, losing somebody else's money, losing face, whatever. The example I go to is you're walking down the sidewalk and you hear an 18-wheel semi-truck loaded with dynamite, you know, hurling down the sidewalk. The brakes aren't working. Are you thinking about looking embarrassed? Are you thinking about losing your job? No, you're thinking about losing your life. So you can prioritize fear, true? Mm -hmm. Right. So now if you're at a job that just pays you to show up, but not enough to care or not enough to raise your family the way you want to live, you trade a day of your life, a week of your life, a year of your life, you're going to wake up one day and you've given away your life for what? So your present fear should be wasting your life, mm. giving up your life. And compared to giving up your life and being dead, being embarrassed is nothing. Losing money is nothing. Because when you fail, you don't end up where you started. You either earn or you learn. Mm. But you're propelling yourself forward. Everybody failed at the beginning. At the start of my career, I worked with two guys. Mm. They had what was arguably a genius idea. What if we hook up computers to traffic lights to synchronize cities and reduce traffic? It was called Trafo Data. They were going to make a fortune. Well, Bill Gates and Paul Allen's first company went bankrupt. Their second company was called Microsoft. It did a wee bit better. Walt Disney's first company failed. You know, you learn from failing. As somebody that's raised hundreds of millions of dollars for startups, I'd rather back a CEO who's failed than somebody on the first time out. You learn by failing. A baby learns to walk by falling down. You make it through a video game by getting clobbered by each obstacle until you get past that thing, only to find out there's another obstacle. Well, that's your career. And one thing you're talking about with this, you're, it's powerful, is you're, you're leveraging fear in a way that serves you and doesn't hinder you. Right. So I'll give you a concrete example. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm maybe 30, late 20s or whatever, and I have one of those career-defining meetings. If I can make this sale, my whole life will be better. And I have a meeting with the CEO of Pepsi in Armok, New York. 
And I, I, re, I studied, I prepared, I know everything. I know every bubble in Pepsi, okay? And for me, it's the most important moment of my life. For the CEO, it's the only thing stopping him from going to lunch. Not exactly in a, a same level of intense engagement. Yeah. So when I walk in the door, the first thing I do is thank him for seeing me on this day and, and, and accommodating my schedule because tomorrow I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Wait a second. Atlanta, Georgia, that's where Coca-Cola is. If he does this with them and the board finds out I passed on it, I lose my super sweet job. Now he's engaged. Uh -huh. and, if, and I use that again uh, eight years ago, as hard as it is to believe, not a single presidential campaign used social media. No Facebook ads, nothing, okay? No Twitter, none of that, okay? And I had a startup ad agency platform, and I'm like, I want a piece of that $2 billion. So I flew around and I met the four campaign managers. And I explained them the same thing. Thanks for seeing me tomorrow. I'm in, in Boston with Romney and I'm with Obama and da, da, da. And it dawned on these guys that if the social media thing catches on and they didn't use it for their candidate, they'll never work again. And each one, before I left the office, said, you can only work with me. And I said, wait a second, you don't do that with ABC or NBC, right? And I ended up getting all four candidates as clients. Wow. So it's a, it's a powerful. So understanding what fear is motivating the person that you're with and then just just inadvertently planting it in a, in a, in a positive way to kind of uh, say, look, I'm desirable. Understanding that everybody has their insecurities. Hmm. The major thing that most people in the corporate world are thinking about is self-preservation. At the CEO level, when you began, I've been a public NASDAQ CEO. When you're a CEO, you're like a piece of brie. The day you're hired, they put an expiration date stamped on you, okay? So now that I'm not running public companies, I'll tell you what no CEO will tell you. You'll hear them say, I think about the shareholders, I think about the employees, I think about the customers. You know what? Not true. CEOs actually don't get paid much. You don't believe this. But they get a dangling carrot of if the stock hits a certain price where they literally back up the Brinks truck to their, your house and they dump you as riches beyond belief. So if you're being rewarded for moving the stock price, what's the only thing you're thinking about? Moving it. Yeah. So there's only two ways to do it. The hard way, come up with a really great new product, service, or whatever that kills the competition, or B, just cut out every cost. So they're not developing next year's product. That's why when the pandemic hit, all these companies suddenly government bailout. They had nothing. They were just, you know, paper thin. So if you come up with your startup, that new thing, this is why people will pay $100 million or a billion dollars to a startup with no revenues. You're getting that CEO keep his job. Mm. So that company that I talked about that we did the got got into the the political space on advertising for the first time lo and behold you know in 18 months it went from the VCs that were backing it were going to close it they weren't going to put any more money into selling it to News Corp for 200 million dollars incredible as is shift how, let me ask you a question how did you get this the the meeting with the Pepsi CEO um I always try to connect the dots of figuring out, okay, who would he meet with? Mm -hmm. And so in Disrupt You, I, I talk about the story at the very beginning of my career. And, and, and I'm just, you know, wired dyslexically, so I don't think linearly. I, I had a solution for Ford Motor, okay? 
Ford Motor Company was dying in the 1980s, okay? The Japanese were making better cars. The Japanese were making such better cars that they were, gave bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranties. So now all of a sudden, Detroit has to do bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranties. What a bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty means, when the car breaks down, Ford has to pay for the repair. Well, here's a dirty little secret. Up until then, half of all repairs were good parts being replaced with good parts, meaning the mechanic didn't know. He took this thing out and he charged you for it, right? Then he took this thing out and he kept on charging you until he found the right thing. So bad repairs were a profit center. But now that Ford was paying for it, I read this article in the paper, it's gonna cost them $600 million a year to replace good parts with good parts, okay? So I could make corporate training suddenly be important and I had a way using interactive training on a computer to reduce that, that cost massively. Now comes, comes the problem. I'm in my 20s, I know nothing about cars and nobody in Detroit. So who would the head of Ford wanna meet with? So scouring around, turns out the football coach in Michigan State had just retired. Everybody in the Midwest, apple pie football and, 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 and cars, I called him up. I knew he was out of work. And I said, I want to hire you to be my head of sales. He goes, I know nothing about computers and stuff. He says, no problem. Everybody wanted to meet him. He'd take the meeting. They're talking about the game from this one. And that guy who threw the thing, caught the thing, did the thing. What's the kid here for? Okay, give him some business. And that was it. So it's all about understanding your customers so well and understanding their motivations, their fears, their desires, their interests. Their Solve for the other person in life. Mm. That is the secret to success and happiness. Everything's about solving for someone else and that's how you'll solve your problems. Beautiful. So uh, how do you get into the mindset of these people? Like, is there, do you study them? Do you interview people like them? Do you just, do you just search the internet for them? How do you really get into that mindset? Cause, cause we sometimes think we know people really well and we're off the mark. And that's some of the entrepreneurs mistake. They don't actually have that strong mental model of the other person's landscape. It's really rarely that it's that personal and that people are that unique. Mm -hmm. The motivations are pretty much the same. All right. How can you make the other person look good? How can you help them get their promotion? How can you do whatever? I'll give you one of my, my earliest in tricks that, uh, or hacks as people like to call them nowadays that I tell entrepreneurs when, when I mentor them. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Let's, let's pretend you want to get to the CEO, okay, of XYZ company. Here's how you do it. Why do you hire a PR firm when you have a, a, a small startup business? Uh, gain awareness. Nope. Nope. Uh, get more you're, clients? Nope. You'll be wrong on whatever you do. Okay. okay. Here, here's why Jay hires a PR company. The PR company has these big, giant corporations, and they have a person who goes and travels with the CEO to take them on Good Morning America or do this or that or the other thing. So they have a very intimate relationship, but they don't tend to have a lot of good ideas. Their job is just you know, having the relationships and making that stuff happen. So hire the PR firm of whatever exec you want to get to. Because then you say what your new idea is. They go, oh, my God, that would be perfect for our client Pepsi. Do you mind if we tell them? And I go, no, I guess not. And so now you've solved a problem for Pepsi, and Pepsi does stuff for you. Again, when I was about 30 years old, I didn't know Bill Gates. I wrote a letter to him. I had an idea for how to improve computer games. 
And I wanted to put music in games for the first time. Before that, games were beep, 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 and I wanted to put rock and roll. And I asked the world's richest man, who I didn't know, would you write a, a letter to the richest man in music, a guy named David Geffen, uh, Linda Ronsett, the Eagles, et cetera. Uh, so he'd take a meeting with me. And when Bill Gates did that, of course, David Geffen took it, and the rest was history. I had the, you know, the hit game of my career. But it's really about solving for others. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting the way you, you you take the status of one person and you leverage it to get the access of another, which is the football player, the Gaffin, all of the 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 intros, the marketing teams, the PR teams. What I explain to people in Future Proofing You is you can't do it alone. One of the twelve truths: don't fly solo. The world's too dynamic. Technology changes, markets change, everything changes so fast. You're going to need a series of mentors, and I teach you how to get the right mentors for each stage of your life. I mean, Mother Teresa had a mentor, you know, Oprah had a mentor, pretty much everybody they've seen got. I mean, Bill Gates' mother told him to reach out to Warren Buffett because you're suddenly a kid one day and the next day you have billions of dollars. There might be some billionaire problems that, you know, you might need a mentor about. Um, and they became fast and furious friends. So, so. Don't have that pride of being the self-made person. That doesn't exist. That that's fiction. Yeah. Speaking of that, solo flying and 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 speaking of fear, one of the things you talk about is uh, there is a thing, especially in this high technology space and everyone else, is that you get these amazing ideas and you're like, oh, this is the greatest idea ever, and then you operate in this silo because you have the best idea and you're afraid that people are going to steal your idea. They're gonna they're gonna run off gonna run off to the bank as fast as possible because your idea is the thing that's gonna make a billions and billions of dollars. What are your thoughts about that? You could stand in Times Square on a busiest afternoon and yell at the top of your lungs your idea, and no one's gonna steal it because it's hard work. Ideas are worthless. Ideas don't make money. It is the execution of the idea that is worth something. So. What shocks people when I talk in front of large audiences around the world um, is I tell people, when you're going to come up to me or you're going to email me and you're going to tell me your idea, and I can tell you ahead of time, your idea sucks. And they're like, shocked. You're Mr. Motivate. How, how, how can you say that? I said, because ideas usually suck. Mm. It's as you start asking people to criticize it, customers, what's wrong? You can do more iterations of your business in your mind before you're spending money because let me tell you something, if you don't do that, once you hire people and spend the money, you're going to learn the same lessons, but then you're going to be broke. Mm. So the idea is to go and try to create what I call a zombie idea. You want people to kill your ideas again and again and again. And when you finally get to an idea that nobody you meet can kill it, you'll find that you can instantly raise money. I had a, a young woman who had an idea that worked on Hammered and was really just brilliant. Nobody else had had it. I, I, I took her up to Silicon Valley. By the end of the week, she had the third highest raise of any woman in the history of time, her first time launching a business um, because the idea had maturity. Because mm. she went around and, and basically beat it and sharpened it against against yeah. the, everybody until it, you could tell like yeah. there's it, there's very whole, very little holes in the game of this concept. So then... So then the advice would be stand on the rooftop, throw it out there as much as possible, sharpen it yeah. because you know how much how much effort it's going to take. And then if it's if it still stands at the end of the day, then you can run with it. Exactly. Mm, that's awesome. So in terms of when you're pursuing 
when you're pursuing a new venture or you're helping someone else with another venture, are you, when you're talking about these, you said ideas are suck, but then are you, do you then primarily look for problems first or are you looking for the, the right, the right partner first? Is it, is it, is it the people thing? Is it the problem thing or the idea thing? What are the, how do you get started in that? Sector? So you're, you're breaking a few different things down there. First of all, um, from an investor standpoint, you're always investing in the people because the ideas are going to pivot. Okay. Uh, Twitter was a music site. Uh, YouTube was a dating site. I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, but if it's the right team, they'll hammer through and they'll, they'll, you know, fall out of love with their idea once they see the facts and they'll find that something that no one worked hard enough to find. For me at this stage of life, I pretty much have zero desire to do something for money. Mm -hmm. Um, but if somebody comes to me as somebody did an engineer that worked for me 20 years ago, came to me with his uh, robotics company that solves huge issues. I felt morally obligated. How can I sleep at night knowing that there's a solution that could help the world and I'm not doing everything in my power to make it happen. So real simple story, a hundred years ago, some absolute bloody moron thought the best way to grow food was to put poison on it that kills all the weeds and all the bugs and all the birds and all the small mammals, but it would not do anything to us that eat the food. And today we all have the cancer and everything and we know how that story ended. So this young man who was an was a engineer for me years ago, grew up on a farm in Kansas, his father, grandfather, longtime farmers, and he went back to the farm, left the big city, and it's like, there's gotta be a better way. Short story, think of small little Roombas, small little robots that go up and down row crops like corn and soy and just chop off the weeds. Simple as that, robots as a service. For less than the cost of spraying dicamba and these other poisonous chemicals, the farmer now spends less and gets an organic crop. So they make 40% more per acre, farmer's happy. They don't have to buy the robots, it's a service. Number two, we now get to eat food that doesn't have poison in it and don't have cancer. Number three, the excess poisons and stuff, chemicals, don't run down the Mississippi and kill all the fish in the Gulf of Mexico. But now comes the best part, and the company is called Greenfield Robotics. The only reason farmers till the soil is to chop up weeds. If you don't till the soil and disturb the soil, you sequester carbon. The single largest source of carbon in the world going into our atmosphere is farming. It's not cars and it's not factories. So... We can stop heating up the planet. We can keep the nutrients in and make nutrient richer food, healthy people, healthy planet. Now, if someone pitched you that and you had the means and the ability to take it to the next level, I guess I have to be chairman of a company and go to work again. I mean, so that's how you pitch me. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to solve whatever I can in the time I have. To me, the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. And my main purpose is trying to bring back a global middle class. Mm-hmm. You know, the middle class got decimated by the pandemic. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, the, the pandemic was one of those great disruption moments, speaking of disruption. And oh, yeah. I don't have to convince people that any career can be disrupted. I spent five years doing that. I actually gave a speech uh, for Singularity University years ago. Mm-hmm when I was promoting Disrupt You, and somebody asked a great question, what do I think the biggest disruption will be? I said, oh, a pandemic. It's coming, it's inevitable. And I walked everybody through it. Um, intellectually, I 
absolutely knew the science and it was it was inevitable. When the pandemic hit, I didn't think we as a society would be as incompetent as we turned out to be in dealing with things. Uh, you know, I didn't think it'd take this long and be this devastating. Uh, and the next pandemic isn't a hundred years away. Mm-hmm. As we, it, it's simple biology. As we move into areas where we haven't been, where animals have lived in peace and harmony and kumbaya, they have diseases and stuff that we haven't been exposed to. So we have no antibodies for them. That's where SARS comes from. That's where this comes from. That's where Ebola comes from. You know, you know, Lyme disease was always there. It wasn't until we went to the, where the deer were that we got it. Yeah. It seems like the planet is trying to fight back and going, okay, too many humans. We're going to, we're going to need to like knock this back a little bit. And so as we expand, we're building out infrastructure to compensate. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's, I end future proofing you talking about sustainable capitalism. I'm a capitalist. It's a great system, but it's fractured. You cannot have infinite growth on a finite planet. And so what a great opportunity to start a business that focuses on sustainable sustainability because the regulations are going to happen no matter what, okay? If if you're on a life raft in the middle of the ocean and there's only one bucket of water, they regulate how much each person gets, okay? So we're seeing these things, but it's not about doing the PR stunts of we're sponsoring a 10K walk. That doesn't really solve any problems. When Walmart realized that their second biggest cost after employees was energy, they went full tilt and figured out how to put in all LED lights and cut out $100 million of expense a year, goes right to the bottom line, makes them more profitable. But what does that do that puts a target on targets back? So target responds, by now being the largest installer of solar panels in the world. They're all solar powered. Google has been carbon neutral for a decade. And that's a lot of server farms to make sure that you can find that hamster eating eating a taco. Um, So all these are opportunities. There's always new problems. And you don't have to be an engineer. You can hire engineers. I'm not an engineer. And I'm, I'm part of some of the most changed changing technologies ever mm-hmm. you just have to have insight so let's just say there's a, a young person out there who wants to find a purpose who desperately seeks it but doesn't have one and they ah, want to have one. there's what a chapter with a bunch of questions to ask yourself <laughs> and and it starts at a young age I, I i it annoys me when i see adults ask kids so what do you want to be when you grow up as if you're one thing and you're, and you're, you know, the static tree. I want to be an oak, you know, all the yeah. birches are taken. Ask a child or ask anyone at any stage, what problem do you want to solve? At every stage of your life, you'll see injustice. You'll things, see things unfinished, unmet. Um, I, I write about in Future Proofing You that my, one of my best friends, she was lucky enough to get hit by a swing in like the fourth grade and had all her teeth knocked out. I say lucky enough because obviously she was miserable, but when the dentist brought her back her smile, the clouds in the sky opened, the light of ray hit her, and she knew her purpose. She wanted to bring back smiles for people, and she's been a dental surgeon, happily being that for her whole career. Um, Not everybody's that lucky, Uh, but there are things that bother you. There are things that you'd like to see fixed, and if not you, who? And if not now, when? And all of history was just groups of stubborn people. Yeah. 
that didn't give up. Yeah, so often, I mean, that is one of those magical moments where you see someone that has seemingly superpowers that grant you a gift where you feel like someone threw you a, a you're at the bottom of a well and someone throws you a rope. So every, every person has a superpower. Hmm. And I have a whole chapter on it. And, and I start off with a story of a, of a young man in middle school who has ADHD. And they want to dope him up and the doctors and the mom. And he just doesn't like it, being in a fog. And the only place where he can control his mind and slow it down is when he swims in his backyard pool. So he begs his mom, if, you, if I swim every day, will you take me off these medic medicines? And so they agree and everything. And he keeps his, he literally keeps his promise religiously, so much so that by the end of his teenage years, he had 17 Olympic gold medals and you know him as Michael Phelps. His superpower isn't swimming. His superpower was his ADHD and learning to disrupt himself and control his mind. And so what you may think, in my case, dyslexic, I couldn't read like the other kids. They, they made fun of me and all that. So when the teacher said, you know, here's a group project, my hand was up first. I'm in charge. You do the reading. You do the writing. And what great training for being a CEO. I do nothing but take credit if it goes well. Um, so all of us have our gifts. All Think of when a friend comes to you for advice, and that'll be a tip-off to your superpower. No one ever came to me for fashion advice, okay? Um, what are the things that others see in you that make them seek you out? And it may be empathy. It may be being able to connect with others. There's someone, I, I have a dear friend, Ken Rakowski, Long as I know him, he's never had a job. He is a people connector. And he's turned that into a global network that's unequaled. Mm, that's so powerful. And I know that there seems to be a challenge normally in the space where people want to help people. So they go into this whole enlightened consciousness area, but they don't know how to monetize it. They they find all this stuff out about how to how to improve themselves, how to how to go yes. and all that stuff. So Jay's not going to teach you how to sit in a pyramid and I don't have a secret word that you, that you do. And if that works for you, you know, God bless. And I give you all the power. What I give you is practical, real world proven and disrupt you proves it at a new level, taking somebody with absolutely nothing. And Vin did all the work. Vin didn't watch TV for a year. He didn't watch the game. He didn't go to a movie. He didn't go dating. He didn't go clubbing. Daytime was for prospecting. Nighttime was for doing the work. And, but he didn't believe it in the beginning. And I have a letter from him in the book where he basically, you know, wrote it to himself after our first meeting. And he didn't show it to me until we had trust about six months in, which basically said, this old guy's full of this. This will never happen. But I got nothing else going on. So I'll play along. And by the end of the first month when he had made $60,000, he had the growth mindset. There was no, there was no... So midway in the year, something happened to his business that wasn't his fault, that couldn't have been predicted, that was like a sucker punch that would have leveled you or I. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a book about a book about a guy who made a half a million. That's not as catchy, but okay. And his target for that month was to make 100 grand. And he comes to the end of the month meeting, and he's downtrodden. I, I knew what had happened. And he was upset because he only made $96,000. And I'm thinking to myself, if, if child on welfare, parents on welfare, Vin could see a future where he's upset that he only made 96000 that's when I knew he was future-proof. 
because the second his business got 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 knocked on its side, he tried a different route in a different way and queued up a different revenue stream and for all intents and purposes, didn't miss a beat. Mm. And I was so impressed with what he had achieved. And I have no role in it. I'm just filling in the blanks, not because I'm smarter. I've made more mistakes than most people you'll ever meet. I've got more scars on my back. I've been screwed over by, by, by more people than, you know, a hooker in Vegas. But what I've learned from that is that you can do it. Mm. What I've watched people do it again and again and again in every field. If, if you're ever bored, I did a commencement address for a university and I'm like, I'm the only thing standing between these kids and having a party. I'm not the president or Oprah. They're like they don't want to hear this. And, and, and yet, I felt like I really connected with the audience because I told them the story of all my friends from college that didn't give up. And what's strange about it is every single one of my friends is a household name, not because we came from anything, but because we were stubborn in all these different fields. And the stories, each one as a standalone, you go, that was the luckiest, most circuitous, weirdest, how could that ever happen? But when you take it as the collective, you see that the harder you work at it, the more times you fail, the luckier you get. Mm. Uh, with that, and it's an interesting question. So, I mean, it seems like grit is the superpower or the, 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 the ability to endure and stay through the fight. And then just magic seems to happen and open up because of that. Um, do you, do you have any like beliefs why that happens? Like, why is it, if you stay on the path, doors open up, but is it some sort of, we, we live in a giant simulation, Elon Musk style, or what, what is that about? We're attributing it to that. The same amount of bad luck that you have, there's the same amount of the good luck. What it really is, is you tend to remember and focus on those ones that go well. You know, you're going to try a bunch of things you're going to hit. And then when something hits, you're going to continue and double down on that. And that's why it seems so, so uh, unusual. But you make it happen. You put yourself out there. There's no rule of threes or make a message board or some, you know, mumbo jumbo. It's really hone your skill, whatever that is, and position yourself as being unique. Because mm -hmm. if you're the best in the world, you have no competition. And then hold on to that turf that you so wisely stake out for as long as you can. I mean, I got into making video games really early. At one point, my company had seven of the top 10 best selling video games in the country. That same year, I remember very vividly Microsoft announcing they were going to get into video games and were assigning $100 million in staffing up a division. And I instantly became that dealer at, at, at Blackjack. Yeah. I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> Time to sell the company and move on. Yeah. Um, and there's always something new and there's always new opportunity. You see it all the time. My, my obsession right now is a 17-year-old gal who this year for a high school science project focused not on making a volcano out of baking soda and vinegar, but realized that the fourth leading cause of death is being in a hospital is when you have surgery, the wound gets infected. So what if she could make suture stitches that change color if there's an infection? So she realized that the, the body's pH and, and, and the root beat are different. So if it touches it, it would change color filed a patent in high school and be, you know, wealthy beyond belief. 
what a slacker and slow achiever I am. That's at 17. There's a 14-year-old that I wrote about in Disrupt You that figured out how to make a neural network to, to uh, uh, predict breast cancer and test for breast cancer better than anything the medical science had. So age isn't a limiter. Being in a first world country is no longer needed. We can remotely do these things. Coming from, from educated families or wealthy families or, or, or anything, you have it within you. Mm. Somebody just hasn't shown you the steps to take. And so I have free workbooks for both of the books. I'm not selling anything. There's no upsell. I don't coach. I don't mentor. There's no mastermind. You cannot get a, 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 a coffee mug with my face on it. So you just go to jsamit.com, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T.com, and you can download those workbooks. And where they help you is the, the book will give you a lot of knowledge. You go, oh, that makes sense. I got to do that. I got to do that. Then you get to the next chapter. And what you learned in the last chapter kind of just goes out the year. That's how I was in school. So you can pause in between chapters and really start mapping out your life. Because if you don't know where you want to be in five years, how do you expect to get there? That's beautiful. So let's look at the trillion dollar industry and what you're talking about spatial reality, augmented reality, and talk about possibly how some young up and comer, possibly part of a, a large uh, Facebook group or whatnot, could use these workbooks in a spatial reality space to leverage that opportunity? The biggest opportunity I see on the horizon that mm -hmm. anybody can tap into is spatial reality or augmented reality. Right now, we spend five hours a day looking at our phones. Mm. In, in the next two years, the phone's not coming out of the pocket. You're going to wear glasses. You're going to have heads-up display on your glasses. And you're going to have apps. So let's just take a brief second and go back 10 years. Could you live without your phone today? No. You run your whole business, your whole life, social, everything, right? Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, when the iPhone came out, here's the two top, two of the top 10 best-selling apps. The Fart app and a game with cats, which is another way of saying no one saw OpenTable, Robinhood, Uber, or the dozens of other businesses that became billion-dollar unicorns. Well, Apple had done the heavy lifting. They made the phone. They made the app store. They made everything that you need. You just had to solve a problem for somebody. Well, AR is the same way. The 5G network's out there, the edge computing. There's even one of, one of the companies I consult with has AR contact lenses. Like we're talking just, they figured out the witchcraft. I mean, this stuff is real rocket science, okay? But they're not figuring out or making any of the apps. So I'll give you one of the ones that, that I think is just a, a killer, obvious one that is being done by somebody. Well, these things can also talk to you. You have bone conductivity, so they can mm -hmm. silently talk to you. So now somebody can speak to you in any of 40 languages and you'll completely comprehend. You can look through it and read a menu in any language and not accidentally order the dog. I mean, uh, those are easy stuff. You can also subtract things from the environment. You can go in a supermarket, 40,000 items. The doctor tells you that you can't, you have diabetes, can't have sugar. Show me the items with no sugar. Everything else disappears. Or show me the things that are on keto or show me the things that are halal or kosher. Or I just want to see wines from France. Or I just want to see the wine that Oprah talked about. So just solve for one problem. Mm -hmm. And you have a whole new industry where in the beginning there's going to be a shortage of apps, so your visibility of being seen is quite obvious. And this, this is is so important to the big guys. If if Google 
Google owned the desktop, most profitable business model in the history of mankind. And then one day they woke up and nobody's on a desktop, they're on their phones. Had they not bought Android, they would have gone out of business. So if Google doesn't own search in this space, they go out of business. If Apple doesn't own and get you to buy their brand of glasses, they go out of business. Same with Facebook, same with them. So if the big guys are spending billions upon billions, wouldn't you want to be the solution that they're going to tout and show in their commercials? Uh, when the iPad came out, as, as bizarre as this is for people to date by just moving their thumb like this, no one had ever swiped before. And Apple was worried that they couldn't explain what swiping was. So they searched and they found a, a failed video game company that had 30 failed games in a row, but they had a new game based on a pandemic of all things uh, that you could swipe. So they put it in all $100 million of their TV commercials for the iPad. It was called Angry Birds. Remember? Yeah. The birds were mad at the pigs because of swine flu. They all got killed, all the birds. So because they got $100 million of free, uh -huh. everybody bought the game, one of the most successful games in history. Forget the money they made on the games, on just bed sheets, lunch boxes, you know, teddy bears, pajamas. They did over $5 billion. So imagine if that $100 million worth of marketing was done by Apple to show your app when they launch, or Google, or Microsoft. Mm. So then the real trick is to get into the mindset of the big company, say Oculus or Google or what are the companies think, okay, what is the problem that I can solve that they would want to back and be able to put marketing dollars behind so that so that one problem, I can I can leverage their pain and be propelled propelled forward. Is that the thought yeah. process? Yeah. I mean, they're going to have to convince people of why you need these products and quickly. They're not competing with you. And if it solves such a giant thing, I mean, my my first lesson of this was from from a friend of mine named named, named Billy Myers. Uh, I was in the early days of PCs trying to figure out what to make and all this stuff and working with all these engineers and code and all this heavy stuff. And this is 1982, right? A PC was $2,000 after buying a car was the most expensive thing anybody would ever buy. And so he said, if somebody's buying something that expensive, they're going to need a dust cover to put over it. It's made a little plastic dust cover. And then when people had a mouse, he made a little plastic mouse pad. Never, never had to work the computer. And then they had floppies. You had to make a little box to keep the floppies in. So he made all these little plastic things that were nothing. And he sold his company to Rubbermaid for $135 million. Fast forward when the iPhone came out 10 years ago, somebody else had the same idea. Well, this is expensive. I'm buying a $1,000 phone. If I drop it, it doesn't work. I'm going to sell a five-cent piece of plastic that I call an iPhone case for $30. And Belkin and all these companies made a fortune, $16 billion in peripherals. So you don't have to, you know, second the pandemic hit, somebody said, I'll take a sheet of plexiglass, I'll put a stand on it and sell it to restaurants, put between tables and manicurists so you slide your hands through them, bank tellers, right? There's always opportunity. And there's a new disruption. There's new problems, new problems. There's simple solutions. Create the simple solutions for the disruptive problems. There's old problems that the new solutions solve. That, those are the easiest. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, 
Jay, I know you've got something top of the hour, so I've got about two minutes left. So I want to be respectful of your time. Um, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about um, before you can tell them uh, how to find your books and, and anything else you'd like to? No, I'm not here to sell. I'm, I'm literally just sort of trying to pay forward all, all, all with gratitude, all the help that I've had because I can't pay the people that helped me along the way. They're no longer with us. Mm. Uh, but you can do it. I believe in you. Tom Bill, you wrote a very powerful forward to the book where he said to the reader, I don't even have to have met you to know that I believe in you. You're human. Humans are capable of incredible things and only you can stop you. So you can get the book anywhere. You can get the audio book on audible. If my voice doesn't annoy you, it's in an, a ton of languages. And I, I love hearing about people's journeys and I love hearing about their successes and what they create because at the end of the day, all these people are solving to make my life easier too. So uh, uh, I'm excited. You can find me anywhere on social and uh, I, I thank you for spending this time. Get the workbooks. They'll help you get the most out of uh, future proofing you and disrupt you. Awesome. I just got future proofing you on audible. I recommend you do the same. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for your time. I very much appreciate this. This has been a pleasure and and i look forward to seeing you during the next disruption so okay peace out brother peace now bye now thank you for listening to the heroes of reality podcast check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes while you're there you can also take the heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others thank you for listening see you on the other side